Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 8. We return this morning and pick up here at verse 26. Just for your understanding, uh, my plan is for next Lord's Day for us to take a quick break from the book of Acts, and I'll be preaching, Lord willing, on Psalm 126, but then the plan is to return and pick up with Acts chapter 9 the following week. Here in the book of Acts, we have heard at this point of many thousands and thousands of conversions. We heard even on the day of Pentecost of how some 3,000 souls came to the Lord In a single day, Uh, beginning with our text last week and here for the the next few texts, we uh, the the word of God zooms in on individuals. Last week, we considered Simon the magician who seemed to have this glorious uh, conversion experience in the preaching of Philip. But then later it was revealed that that was a false profession of faith and he was called to repentance. Well, as we move on today, we come now to the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is a man who seems, by all accounts, to have everything that someone might initially want in this world. He has power, he has prestige, he has wealth. And yet, for some reason, we find that this man is no longer in Ethiopia, but he has gone to Jerusalem. He has heard of something else, and he has gone to worship, hoping to find out what is found there at Jerusalem. As, we'll, as you'll hear me read here in a moment, he actually leaves probably quite disappointed because his questions have not yet been answered. Even as he reads the scroll of Isaiah, he does not yet know who Christ is. He still doesn't have answers to life's most important questions. Well, boys and girls, I want to point out to you before I read that we're going to read about this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And he is nameless, and the text is intentional to do that. We meet this man, but we never know his name. He has no name in the text, but by the end of the text, he gloriously has a name. I asked my kids in family worship last night, what is his name? What is the name that this man now has? And we're going to hear of that in the text. So boys and girls, listen, what is the name given to this nameless man as he comes to know Jesus Christ? God saves outsiders. Let's go to his word and read of how God saves outsiders. This is Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. This is the word of God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life 
is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came to, Caesarea. Amen. This is God's word. A certain book written in 2012 introduced us to the author with these words. When I was 28 years old, I was at the finish of a Ph.D. in English Literature and Cultural Studies. I was, te- I was a teaching associate in one of the first and strongest women's studies departments in the nation, and I was being recruited by universities to take on faculty and administrative roles in advancing radical leftist ideologies. At age 36, I was one of the few tenured women at a large research university, a rising administrator, and a community activist. I had become one of the tenured radicals. By all standards, I had made it. That same year, Christ claimed me for himself, and the life that I had known and loved came to a humiliating end. Many of you know who wrote those words. And so you know that these words were written by Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Rosaria, by all accounts, even her own, was truly an unlikely convert to Christ. At that point in Rosaria's life, she was on the precipice of acquiring everything that she had dedicated her life to. She had a prominent and growing position at a major research university, and she was being sought out for her influence and expertise. She had just left behind the tenuous nature of Ph.D. studies in exchange for a tenured position that could not be taken from her. And perhaps more than all of this, she was well-loved and widely respected, not only in her own university setting, but far beyond. Rosaria had what so many worked so hard to find. She was, at that time, a very unlikely convert to Christ. Well, perhaps you know someone like this. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we can all at times think of others in our lives by placing them in certain categories. We might say of one, well, they are close to the kingdom. They are close to coming to Jesus Christ. Or of another, they seem so far away. They will never come to Christ. Well, Rosaria's story is one that reminds us that no one is ever outside of the reach of God's grace. Rosaria's story reminds us that God saves outsiders. And that is what we see here in God's word. That is what we see here in this Ethiopian eunuch. 
Right now, many of you, if not all of you, can think of friends and loved ones who seem to you to be so very far from the kingdom. They seem like the most unlikely to ever come to Jesus Christ. And because of this, you can despair. You can grow despondent when you think of your loved one and how it doesn't seem like they could ever come to know Christ. You may be tempted to grow discouraged. And perhaps some of you actually sitting here this morning are actually thinking, well, that person is me. I am the outsider. I am the one who is far from Christ. If only others knew what was really true of me, they would look at me and say, I am the unlikely convert. And so no matter where we sit in these regards, the question before us is, is there any hope for the outsider? Is there any hope for the one who is far from Christ? Well, here in God's word, we read this wonderful story of the Ethiopian eunuch so that we will never, ever doubt again that God saves outsiders. So let's begin this morning by considering first an outsider seeking. An outsider seeking. Who is this man that we meet? Well, the text introduces us to an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. Again, this is a nameless man. Luke doesn't tell us his name. So what can we surmise about this man? Well, for starters, he is an Ethiopian who held this high position in Ethiopia. He was a court official of Candace, which means he was a part of her inner circle. He was in a place of prominence, therefore he had power. And as the one who oversaw her treasury, he was also wealthy. In many ways, this man had what so many seek today, wealth, power, and prominence. And yet, when we meet this man, he is far from home. He has left Ethiopia and he is in search of something. I have described the Ethiopian eunuch as an outsider, so how is he an outsider. Well, first of all, he's an outsider socially. Now, we don't know for sure how this Ethiopian man became a eunuch. A eunuch is one who has been emasculated, one who has been castrated. Sometimes, in these ancient contexts, a slave or a foreigner would be forced to become a eunuch in order to serve along someone like a queen. But here the text tells us that this man is not a foreigner, he's not a slave, he's actually an Ethiopian. Which means, quite likely, this man actually voluntarily became a eunuch because of what this position seemed to promise him. Quite likely, this man emasculated himself in order to gain that prominent position, that power and that wealth, hoping that there he would find what his soul was looking for. And while that decision may have been financially rewarding socially, it was devastating. He was an outsider socially. You see, eunuchs often found themselves to be almost entirely isolated. Obviously, this man is not a woman, and so he does not fit in there. But then in becoming a eunuch, he was often, or they were often, ostracized from among men. And so this man now suddenly finds himself to be an outsider on a fundamental level. He had thought that becoming a eunuch promised 
prominence or inclusion, but instead socially, this eunuch now sees that he does not fit in anywhere. Well, this man was also an outsider ethnically. He was an Ethiopian who left Ethiopia in search of something. And I imagine that his time in Jerusalem was far more disappointing than he had imagined. You see, he has heard of something going on in Jerusalem. And so he has gone there searching to find what everyone else seems to be finding there. The text actually tells us that he went there to worship. But as an Ethiopian eunuch, this man would have been forbidden from even entering the court of the Gentiles. As an Ethiopian eunuch, he would not have been allowed to even gather with God's people. And so here he is in Jerusalem searching for something, hoping to find what he has heard of. And his experience in Jerusalem is probably not just disappointing, it's probably quite devastating. Instead of finding what he was looking for, he was likely sent away because ethnically he is an outsider. And so he's an outsider both socially and ethnically. So what was this man seeking? Well, the fact that he has now left Ethiopia, the fact that he has left that place of prominence and influence in Ethiopia because he is searching for something tells us that this man is on some sort of special quest. Again, he is seeking for something. Well, when we gather what we can about this man, it seems as though he is looking for where he really belongs. Notice again, he has no name. He might be known by Candace's name because he serves in her court, but he has no name. Notice he also has no hope of a family. As a eunuch, his generations end with him. And notice that even though he has this prominent place in the queen's palace, it is an empty substitute for a home. He doesn't even belong there. This man is longing to belong. He likely mutilated himself hoping to find fulfillment, but instead he is now left empty as an outsider. All of his attempts to belong have left him alone. And I can't help but think about the many young people in our culture today who have now been misled by the lies of our culture, who have similarly mutilated themselves hoping to belong, only to find that those promises were completely and absolutely empty. Those promises have now left them instead feeling far more isolated than ever before. This man is like so many in our culture today. This is like so many who are seeking but cannot find. So why is this man seeking so? Well, Augustine put it so well in his confessions when he wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, this man has engaged this world and he has found it to be absolutely bankrupt. He has run after all that this world has to offer, but he has found it to be empty. This man's soul is longing for what God has created him for, but so far he has not found it. His heart is longing for a home. His soul aches for a family. His heart breaks in order to belong, but wherever he turns, he cannot find this rest for his soul. So is there any hope for an outsider? Is there any hope for one who is far off and all alone? 
Now, brothers and sisters, at this point, we need to pause to appreciate what God's word here reveals. Because first, this man shows us what happens inside of every single human heart. This man knows a restlessness that nothing in this world can ever satisfy. Sure, he was able to pacify this restlessness for a time here and there, but ultimately, nothing has been proven sufficient to satisfy his restless soul. Which means, second, we can and we must be sympathetic to what we see in others as they, like this Ethiopian eunuch, will go to great lengths seeking that something that will satisfy. You see, in this way, we are all the same. Whenever we see others acting in ways that we do not understand or pursuing things that we cannot relate to, we need to see and to appreciate that they are simply wrestling with this implanted restlessness. This reminds me of the way that Ken Smith interacted with Rosaria Butterfield. If you have ever heard or read her testimony, you will remember that she was this tenured professor at Syracuse, and she was writing against a local Christian ministry. Well, when she was writing against this Christian ministry, Rosaria received both fan mail from those who were in the LGBTQ community and hate mail from those who were within the Christian community. But then she received a letter that she could not put into either category. Ken Smith wrote her a letter, and Ken's letter engaged Rosaria thoughtfully and asked her many questions that she had to engage in honestly. You see, Ken understood what was going on inside Rosaria's heart. And rather than seeing her as one who was to be opposed, he saw her as someone that needed to be understood. In some way, Ken was able to see that she was just like him. That her heart was simply searching. That she was longing for something else. He saw in her what he saw in himself. And that was the start of their lifelong friendship. Well, here in the Ethiopian eunuch, we are meant to see ourselves. And we are not only meant to see ourselves, but we are meant to see everyone else as well. We are meant to see how at least on this level we are all the same. Not just we who are in this room at present, but everyone in this world. We are all, in one way or another, outsiders who are seeking something. And so that brings us second to consider an outsider sought. An outsider sought. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem because he had heard of great things that were happening in Jerusalem because of the gospel. He went there and was disappointed and left with his questions unanswered. So even though he went seeking something, he is still without finding. And so at this point, we need to back up to the beginning of our text. If your Bible's still open, look there at verse 26. It says there, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here it is revealed that God's plan, God's hidden plan for this Ethiopian man is already in place. Long before this man ever knew of God's plan, it was already in place and it was making progress. 
The Ethiopian eunuch left Jerusalem disappointed because he had not found what he was looking for, but little did he know that God had set his sights upon this man, that God is the one who seeks and saves the lost. So as this outsider is still searching, we see how God ordinarily seeks and saves the lost. So how so? Well, in two ways. First of all, God seeks the lost by way of his word. Somehow this outsider has come to now possess the word of God. He has the scroll of Isaiah. And while he returns from Jerusalem with many questions unanswered, he is now rightly giving himself to the reading of God's word. As Ken Smith got to know Rosaria Butterfield, he invited her to read God's word. She was, after all, writing against this Christian ministry, and it would be only academically responsible for her to actually read about what she was engaging with. Well, little did she know that she was actually engaging with the most powerful thing here on earth. She was engaging the very word of God. Listen to Isaiah 55. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Similarly, Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is not a book that you simply read. This is a book that reads you. In Jeremiah 23, God says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? God's word is like a hammer that can break even the hardest heart. The reading of God's word is a powerful way that God uses to seek the lost. But second, we also need to see here that God seeks the lost by way of the preaching of his word. Notice that even as this eunuch has the word of God, he needs another to help him understand. And that is by God's design. There are actually two textual indications here that underscore the necessity of a God-given preacher. First of all, notice how the language used in our text in verse 26 is very similar to the language used to describe Jonah, God's call upon Jonah when he commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh to be God's prophet to those people. Our text here says, rise and go to the south. Well, that was God's call for Jonah, rise and go. It's similar language that here relates to the way that Philip reflects a prophet of the Old Testament. But then second, the eunuch's question actually finds its counterpart in Romans chapter 10. Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Listen to Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so putting these two things together, we see that God uses both his word written and his word preached as the ordinary means by which he 
seeks and saves the lost. And that is what needs to be underscored. Who is the seeker in this text? Who is seeking this outsider? Well, clearly God is the seeker. He has orchestrated all things to bring his word into the hands of this eunuch. And he has obviously sent Philip to him so that he might preach to him the good news of Jesus Christ. But even in noticing this, we also need to note that God, while he is sovereign in seeking, and while God has clearly planned and orchestrated every detail to bring this eunuch to himself, we need to notice that God uses means. Someone got God's word into the hands of this eunuch. And Philip was himself willing to go out into this desert to minister to this man. Remember Canon Rosaria. God had a plan in place to claim her for himself. But that plan had various people playing various parts. Ken went out of his way to get to know Rosaria. Ken's wife warmly opened their home to offer her an invitation into their lives. And then the whole church welcomed Rosaria into their community, knowing that there were obvious differences and disagreements between them. God had a sovereign place to call her to himself, but he used his people to be the means by which he saved that outsider. Brothers and sisters, God's sovereignty in salvation means that he already has his plans in place. But understand this, his plans include you. His plans include you to bring God's word to people, to bring people to God's word. God saves outsiders and he always uses his word and his people to bring them to himself. To use this as an opportunity to reflect upon these questions. Who can you invite to come and read with you God's word? Who can you invite into your home and into your life? Who can you engage in a sincere relationship with because God saves outsiders. Who do you need to bring with you to church? Who needs you to help them see that here we are all simply outsiders that God has already brought to himself? God's sovereignty in salvation means that he already has his plans for others in place. And remember that that, those plans include you. Well, third and finally this morning, let's consider now an outsider saved. An outsider saved. Up until this point, we have considered the means by which God ordained this eunuch's salvation. So let's examine it just a little closer. How exactly did God use his holy word to bring this man to himself? Well, the eunuch is sitting there in this chariot, still without answers to his questions, but rightly bringing those questions to the word of God. And so he reads from Isaiah 53. It says there, like a sheep who is led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Reading Isaiah 53, something stirs within this man's soul. Something has captured his attention. And so he asks Philip, who is this man? Who is the one that Isaiah 53 is describing? And that question is the right question. Just imagine this Ethiopian eunuch, far from home and searching for what he cannot find. And now he comes to God's word and he's wondering, who is this one? Who would willingly offer himself up as a sacrificial lamb? Who would humble himself to deliberately face injustice? Who would be willing to have his own life cut short? Who would be willing to let his generation end with him? Who would do that? Well, Philip was eager to answer his questions. Who is this man? Philip, no doubt, opens up the scroll of Isaiah to explore that scroll with the Ethiopian eunuch, to unfold and to unpack the glories of Jesus Christ. And it is a glorious text that is powerful to capture the human heart. It is like that powerful hammer that can break even the hardest of hearts. Listen to Isaiah 53. I'll begin actually at the end of 52. Remember this Ethiopian eunuch sitting there wondering, who is this? This is the context of what he has read. God's word says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Who is this man? His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Who is this man? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Who is this man? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Who is this man? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is this man? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Who does this? Who would willingly do this for sinners? By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Who does this? Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. This is the text that has captured this man's heart. This is the text that is breaking the hardness of his heart powerfully like a hammer crushing a stone. Who is this man? Who would come and do this for sinners? Well, here in the text, we witness the eunuch's mind as he is enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. He's saying, you mean there is one who took my griefs and carried my sorrows? You mean there is one who was pierced for my transgressions? You mean there is one who died so that I can have peace with God? You mean there is one who was wounded in order that I might be healed? Who is this man? Well, Philip says, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And all of these things are true for you trusting in Christ. This man, through his reading of Isaiah 53, has come to be convinced of his own sin and misery. He is like those ones who have gone astray. And through Philip's preaching of Isaiah 53, this man has come now to know that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. In this moment, this outsider wandering the earth is suddenly saved. Why? Because God saves outsiders. This man did not find Jesus. Jesus found this man, and Jesus is now exalted by way of his word, and so this sinner is saved. Brothers and sisters, God saves sinners. And he has his plans already in place, and his plans include you. And so in closing, I want you to listen to Isaiah 56. No doubt... Philip knew Isaiah 56 and he went on to explore the glories of Isaiah 56 with this eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is both a foreigner and a eunuch. And so I would guess that Philip was very eager to move on to to explore the glories of Jesus in Isaiah 53 and get to the promises regarding the foreigner and the eunuch in Isaiah 56. Listen to what God's word says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. He's saying, listen, if you have come to Christ, you can never be taken away. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. This man is saying, I'm a eunuch. I'm as good as a dry tree. But God says, don't ever say that. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. What do those words do to a eunuch who cannot have children? He says, I will give them an everlasting name He is going to name this man, boys and girls. I will give to this man an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. 
and to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This nameless Ethiopian eunuch now has a name. Because Philip took him down into the waters where he placed upon this man the triune name of God. This man now has a name because he bears the name of Christ, his Savior. He has a name and he will bear it forever. This eunuch who had no hope of having a family has been taken into God's house where he will be made fruitful And this man who did not know what he was seeking had no idea that God was seeking him. Because God saves outsiders. And brothers and sisters, here in this text, we see the heart of God revealed in the gospel. He calls in the outsider. In Ephesians chapter 2, God's word is very careful to call us to remember. It says, remember, you were once outsiders. You were once separated from Christ. You were once strangers to his promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But remember, now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once outsiders, but now you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. God's word says, remember, because we are prone to forgetting. We were once these outsiders. We sang this earlier. We sang this earlier. God's word predicted that he would bring in many outsiders. So listen to how Psalm 56 reads at verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides these already gathered. That is God's heart for his people And for outsiders, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. So brothers and sisters, remember, you were once an outsider, but God has made you a member of his household. And there are still so many outsiders seeking something. And God has a plan in place for so many of them. And remember that that plan includes you. So may we be a people who exalt the Lord Jesus Christ so that he may be glorified in this world and gather together so many more. Let us pray together. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the way in which your word causes us to remember. We are so quick to forget that we were once those outsiders. 
And yet you in your sovereign grace had a plan from all eternity to gather in outcasts. Lord God, we thank you that your plan included us and that you used others to bring us to your word and to preach us your word which you used powerfully to soften hard hearts, to enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ and cause us to embrace and to trust in him. Thank you, Lord, for your heart for the outsider. And Lord God, we pray that as we continue in this pilgrim journey that we would be made more and more like Christ our Savior, the one who is the primary actor in our text, seeking and saving the lost. Lord, you have made a promise that as you gather in the outcast, you will gather yet many more. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would so sanctify us that we would live to the glory and the praise of your name. Lord, we pray that you would so conform our hearts toward others, that we would be gloriously speaking of your salvation from day to day. Lord, cause us to believe in your sovereign plan, which includes the means to use your people to bring your word to others and others to your word. And we ask that you would glorify your name in being faithful to that promise to gather in so many more. Lord, glorify your name, we pray. Amen.